0: This podcast is brought to you by BrunerAcademy.com, your online resource for the best public speaking presentation storytelling skills courses. Become a rock star communicator in any setting. Visit BrunerAcademy.com. In order to change your life, you have to change your life. Wise words from my guest today who knows a lot about changing one's life. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Live Your Best Life with Liz Bruner. I'm Liz, and my guest says that after hitting rock bottom, she believed that life was tapping her on the shoulder and asking something more of her, and she went in search of that more. Today, she's a certified life coach, best-selling author, podcast host, and speaker. Andrea Owen, welcome to my podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Liz. I'm so excited to be here.
0: I'm delighted to have you here today. Boy, life began asking so much more of you back in 2007, and you call it one of the roughest times in your life where everything that you knew to be true and safe had been taken away. What was going on?
1: Oh my gosh. Well, life handed me... It's, it's kind of funny. I want to back up even more because around 2002, 2003, I found the career of life coaching, and back then it was brand new you know, executive coaching had been around a little bit, but life coaching was much lesser known. And I was talking to my then husband at the time and telling him about it. And I'm looking at the computer screen reading about it and telling him, this sounds like a perfect career for me, because I'm really good at helping people i'm the consummate cheerleader i don't think being a therapist is really great for me because i just want to like bulldoze past problems <laughs> let's,
0: just, let's, let's just go strategize. right to the
1: solution right <laughs> yeah life coaching is is for me and then i said in the next breath but i don't think i have enough life experience and i was in my 20s at that time mm. i said i think to be a good life coach you would need a lot of great life experience That husband had an affair with our neighbor and got her pregnant right when we were talking about conceiving our first child and we had been together since I was 17. So it was a devastating breakup. And then I started dating someone right away, which I should not have done, Liz, but I, I did anyway. This person had cancer and the long and short of it, as I took care of him for months and months, he didn't have cancer. He had lied about it to cover up a drug addiction. I found myself pregnant with his child, knowing that I wanted to have the baby. I was 32 and was like, okay, I guess this is where my life begins. I guess this is my life experience that I wished for, (laughs) which was kind of funny, not funny, but those were my circumstances. And the, what I walked away with was that I had been hoping that my happiness could be found in the hands of someone else. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, the thing that I walked away with was that I had for decades been hoping that I can find my happiness and my confidence and all the love in the world <laughs> from other people. And I had to learn the hard way in those moments and that circumstance, my own rock bottom, was that it was up to me and I had to take radical responsibility. And it sounds a little bit cliche, but I think until you, get to one of those moments, Mm -hmm. you really realize, okay, like I have to kind of look at the common denominator here, and it was me, you know, why am I picking these relationships? Why am I choosing to stay in these relationships when my intuition was telling me to run and I didn't? So that's really where, for the sake of sounding corny, it's really where my life began.
0: What I do like also about your story is that you had that tiny bit of hope somewhere along the way, and it led you to asking the universe for help. And as a result of all of that, you have now been sober from alcohol for more than 10 years. You're also sober from what you call love addiction, codependency, Mm -hmm. and even an eating disorder for 15 years. And you say you are active in the world of recovery. I think people understand alcohol addictions. Can you explain... What is a love addiction and how did that manifest in your life?
1: So I mentioned that I had found myself in a relationship with someone who was an addict and he went away to rehab. Coincidentally, they had a, they call it family week, if anyone's listening, who has loved someone who has gone to rehab during that family week. I learned a lot about myself, which I wasn't expecting. <laughs> I went to the bookstore because a therapist had mentioned that I had some love addiction tendencies and I bought a book called Facing Love Addiction by Pia Melody. And I felt like she was writing about me. Basically, it's a process addiction. It's you know different than a, a substance addiction. But the process addiction is that we make relationships our drug of choice. Hmm. I was addicted to the chase and the rush of quote unquote, new love of being in love. And I was also addicted to the drama and the chaos of it all. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I was also obsessed with fixing my partner In, in multiple partners. I knew that they had their own issues and that our relationship had issues. And I was determined to fix it, to fix them, to be the one who saved him. Mm. And that at the root of it is extremely poor boundaries, very low self-esteem, low self-confidence, all of those things. And and the way it manifested for me was a lot of anger and resentment. What I think is
0: so wonderful about your healing journey is you have managed to put all of those stories, all of those experiences into three best-selling books, three best-selling books, 52 (laughs) Ways to Live a Kick-Ass Life, How to Stop Feeling Like Shit, and your most recent book, Make Some Noise, Speak Your Mind and Own Your Strength. I finished it over the weekend, and wow, it is so raw, it is so honest, and it is so good. Why did you feel compelled to write this book?
1: I was putting the dots together that The struggles that women were coming to me for, like confidence issues or people pleasing or perfectionism, overachieving, isolating instead of reaching out. Many of these behaviors that I had written about previously, I couldn't ignore the sort of elephant in the room, if you will, that many times we engage, and by we, I'm I'm talking mostly about women. Men definitely have their own struggles, but in particular, this is gender-specific Women tend to struggle with those mainly because we were raised in a culture that has taught us we are more valued if we put everyone else first. We are last. You know, we are kind of put on a pedestal, if you will, if we are the most nurturing, if we are the most selfless, if we are the most exhausted, if we are the most (laughs) most productive. And I thought to myself, I need to talk about that. And in the beginning of the book, I pose a question, which is sort of woven throughout of asking the reader what is your conditioning versus what is your truth? And that's really what I want the reader to ask themselves, you know, when they are engaging in perfectionism or they're afraid to like start their own podcast or they're afraid to ask for a raise at work, is part of your fear of that, your conditioning, like what is your actual truth? Mm -hmm. So it's just, I'm asking the reader to get very, very curious about the culture that raised us. And what
0: I think is so important here, and you write about it in the book too, is that it really is no matter your age, It could be 25, it could be 65, but those years of conditioning, those patterns of behavior that sabotage us, we have to unlearn them in order to live our best life. And everything from staying quiet to not taking up space, to not allowing ourselves to shine, you mentioned confidence, all of those things. I want to touch on a couple of them. Where does the staying quiet come from and how do we unlearn that?
1: Well, I think we get the message, whether it's explicitly told to us or implicitly just with messaging that we hear from our family members or our community or on the media that nobody really likes a loud woman Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. you know i grew up i feel like you're around the same age as me liz i was born in 1975 and madonna was on one hand so confident and someone i wanted to emulate and on the other hand so controversial I felt like there were times where I was like, Madonna, like, don't be so loud. People are mad at you. You Oh, my gosh. And I was raised in the era of watching her and and understanding that there are rules, Mm -hmm. rules with a capital R for women specifically. And there are stereotypes. And I wrote about this in the book, too. There's also this punishment versus reward. Like Madonna, you know, we are punished if we say our opinions too loudly, if we go against the status quo, if we quote unquote make a scene, if we make noise, if we rock the boat, and we are rewarded when we go along with the rules, mm-hmm. when we are agreeable, when we are, <laughs> you know, quiet enough. You don't want to be a doormat, but you also don't want to be too loud. I mean, ask any woman, and she can tell you, like, yeah, yeah. there are definitely some, some rules, and and I'm not talking about social norms, like not being rude to people. Like, of course, there are those. But there are definitely some rules that we learn early on that point towards being as quiet as possible.
0: I think in conjunction with that, one of the big unlearnings that many women have to allow themselves to unlearn is to shine. And one of the things that you wrote in the book is this, tamping down your brightness and bigness slowly but surely dampens your soul. We're made to feel that we're wrong for shining or daring to be ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we do things not to shine and not ask for what we want. And I think sometimes we feel like that's just an enormous risk to do both of those things.
1: So I'll tell you a quick story. So I wrote that book in 2020. I wrote it in 2020. That was tough. (laughs) So in 2016, my father had passed away and I was with some people who had known me since I was a child. I overheard a phone conversation with someone who I had known for a very long time, talking to another family member. They didn't know I had walked into the room. And this person said, well, you know how Andrea is. She's always so, look at me, look at me. And then this person laughed and I could tell the person on the other end was laughing too. I felt like I had been just sucker punched. And I immediately went back to feeling like a little girl, like, oh, I am too much everybody's talking about me. (laughs) They were talking about you. Yes. I tell this story because I want to really hammer home that it's not about just unlearning at one time or reading a certain book or listening to a podcast. Sometimes afterwards, I'll listen to something motivating and I'm like, I can run through a brick wall right now. Like I am so inspired and motivated. And then it wanes. It ebbs and flows. And I think that this unlearning, this deconditioning that I talk about in the book is a lifelong process. Mm -hmm. That phone call and overhearing that person say that about me shook something inside of me that I carried along and I'm like, I don't want to post on social media too much. And so just recently I posted about that particular situation on Facebook and I said, so get ready for lots of look at me posts <laughs> and I've been consistent about it and, and talking about wins in my career reaching out to people on LinkedIn for introductions and seeing how I can help them as well. And I say that because I want people to know that even me as a professional who's written three books that have been translated into almost two dozen different languages, I still get pushed back down Mm -hmm. and have to pick myself back up and relearn the unlearning, if you will. But I want to go
0: back to something else you also talked about, which was confidence. And I know you and I do a lot of work with our clients on that topic. And we both believe that You're not born with confidence. That's a myth. Confidence is learned by experience. And I love you just sharing that, that I'm going to have a lot of me posts right now because that does Mm -hmm. take confidence to do that. And I think a lot of people don't know how to connect the dots with one of the other things that you said in your book. And I thought this was so important. There are people who wait to start something until they think they're finally ready to do it. And how does that hold us back when it comes to confidence?
1: I think when we wait until we're ready to do something, we're missing the point that we will likely never be ready until we have already done the thing. Like right. it seems counterintuitive. Right. <laughs> and I, I also want to acknowledge that if you have fears around doing something, those aren't dumb fears. I can't stand it when personal development people are shouting from the rooftops like, oh, your excuses are stupid. And, and it's like, No, 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 you know, they may have had a situation like mine, where they overheard someone, you know, saying not so nice things about them, you may have come from an, an extremely difficult background, or in a verbally abusive relationship where your self confidence, the, the bar is on the ground. And I just want to acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. Because trauma lives in our bodies. These are very real fears that we have. And some people legitimately feel like they're going to die if they go and do the thing. Right. So I wanna acknowledge that first and foremost. And the bad news is <laughs> <laughs> we gain confidence through actions and experiences. People who are really struggling with that fear have a couple of different pieces of advice. The first one is go to therapy. I'm a huge proponent of therapy. I shout about it from the rooftops. I've been in therapy on and off for the past 30 years. 30 years, three zero. And, um, and I'm not embarrassed by it at all. And the second part is start small. If you right. want to write a book, but it's terrifying, then maybe you can start a blog. And, and maybe start a blog and don't tell anybody about it at first. Yeah, one step at a time. Or just write in your journal. Like, What are these small steps that you can take and like, maybe get some accountability with a peer or a, a mastermind that you join? It truly is... About actions and experiences Mm -hmm. that leads you to competence and mastery, which is also part of self-confidence. The only way we get there is through doing. I have
0: no doubt that it took confidence on your part to go from having been working for years in the fashion industry, dressing mannequins and windows. Mm -hmm. You had to find the confidence to say, you know what? I am going to go after being a life coach. I am going to have those experiences how did you find that confidence to say you know maybe i'm not ready to be a life coach but i'm gonna go for it
1: previously i had always been told Andrea, just make a decision just commit to something because my first career was in the fashion industry before i became a life coach i pivoted to the fitness industry right i got my undergrad in exercise physiology and i had worked both on the the gym floor as a personal trainer and corporately And then i was like i think i'm gonna become a life coach and so i had to sift through all of the are you sure (laughs) and you know coming from parents who were in a different generation from mine who like they got a job when they were a teenager and they stuck with that company forever and they can't understand my generation and how we switch careers so much but back then when i pivoted over into being a life coach to be honest with you, Liz, like part of it was what I call delusional confidence back then there wasn't a whole lot of other life coaches, especially who were in the online space who had come before me, mm-hmm. I could n- maybe count on one hand, how many there were. So that was helpful. I didn't have like a, this could fail thought, you know, <laughs> like it just was <laughs> sort of delusional. It just looked really fun too. And I have learned as an adult that once you stop having fun bad things can happen and mm. so i try to go after the fun things as much as possible.
0: Well, one of the fun things that you went after, i have to throw this in. I have to share this with our listeners. At one time you were in the roller derby and your derby name was Veronica Vane. I love saying that. <laughs> Why
1: roller derby and how did you choose that name? Okay, i have a secret that i've not shared with like anyone. You're the first. I'm seriously considering going back. And I am 47 years old. The beauty of Derby is that they take any age, any size, any sexuality, (laughs) like they don't care. They're like, can you stay up on skates? Okay, you can come and play with us. But I'm going to start just by reffing because they need volunteer refs and things like that. The reason that I went after it partly is because I am a moth to a flame when it comes to things that are exciting and scary i always say you know i have a high risk tolerance and that's great for entrepreneurship but it is terrible for drugs alcohol and men (laughs) (laughs) that's quite the list (laughs) we went to a derby bout when i was still in san diego that's where i'm from and it looked so fun and so scary and i mentioned it to my husband and he goes i don't know if i could see you out there on the track Oh, And when someone underestimates me, Liz, (laughs) I was just going to say, that was an invitation. (laughs) I think because, you know, I had two babies at the time and I was definitely in like mommy mode. But for me, underestimation is one of my biggest motivators. And so then we moved to a different state and I went to another bout, like in the city that we were in. All it takes is 20 seconds of courage. And we went to buy our tickets and some of the players were selling the tickets. And I thought, oh my God, what if they're really mean to me? You know, these women are Covered in tattoos. They have all different color hair. Like some (laughs) of them have mohawks. Like (laughs) I am way too vain for (laughs) to change my appearance, which hence the name. But they were really nice. And they were like, of course, like here's our here's our practice. If you want to just come and check out, they were so accommodating and so nice. How I picked the name, you know, it's my alter ego. Veronica Vane goes out on the track and she just cares about two things: kicking ass and looking great while doing it. And that's truly what I try to embody when I get up in stage and I'm speaking in front of 5,000 people where part of me is terrified to do that. Sure. I want to be seen as a professional and really great and seasoned. But then there's another part of me, Veronica Vane, is like, this is hard. <laughs> it's an Elle Woods moment, like what, this is hard? You know, yeah. Let's go. Like, get your hairspray and let's go.
0: Oh my gosh. I love that story. <laughs> All right. You felt invited to do this, and you talk about this in your book, and it's a really poignant point. Life gives you an invitation to change your life, and you accepted that invitation. And I think what's hard, though, for some people is, okay, I'm going to accept this invitation, I feel like it's there, and I'm going to flip a switch, and that's it. Unfortunately, don't we wish it was that simple, Andrea? It just uh-huh. isn't, right? Right. And there's not one tool that works for everybody. There are many tools. And often time is required to retrain our brains to do that unlearning, as you call it. Can you give us one piece of advice how to move forward when we say, okay, I'm ready to accept that invitation?
1: I think what stops people, like when they make that decision, okay, I'm going to accept the invitation, you're going to encounter an obstacle. You're just going to. Whether it's the voice in your own head, whether it's someone that you're close to and you share this exciting news with them and they poo-poo it, whether it's a legitimate obstacle like you run out of funding or you run out of time. There's so many different things that are going to get thrown at you. I think it's important to understand and be very clear on your values. There's a big conversation about, oh, know, know your why. And to me, I look at that as what is important about the way i live my life what do i want my children to remember me for Mm -hmm. what do i want my community to remember me for that i did the thing not really like i i don't really care that people remember me as like oh that retired roller derby player like i want people (laughs) to remember me as like that one woman that was really brave my main values right now are courage trust and responsibility and when i think about courage that's what i have to go back to and also not just that i say the word because the word is meaningless unless I know exactly what it looks like mm-hmm. in my life. Right. And for me, it is courageous to follow through on a commitment when obstacles get thrown at me. Yeah. It is courageous to ask someone, hey, how do I try out for roller derby? Right. It is courageous to fill out a grant application or ask for venture capital, especially if you are a woman. I say courage is kind of like the cheater value because it encompasses so many different things, right. <laughs> like authenticity right. and creativity and all these things. But that's really my, my piece of advice is like, remember what's important about the way you live your life.
0: As you mentioned, we all know challenges, obstacles, they're going to come to all of us at some point in time mm-hmm. in our life. And sometimes they're very, very painful. You write in your book that pain is your power. It's always open to you. You just need to step in and that for you, even with all that you've shared in your books with your clients, it's still painful for you to crack open your heart and speak your darkness out loud to others. What power has come from your pain?
1: Specifically, it's about actually processing emotions. Mm -hmm. So I, like many people grew up in a family where we didn't talk about it. We didn't have even language for it. The only acceptable emotion was happiness. And if you had any others, you went to your room and you did that in private. And when you were happy again, you came out to join the family. This is not to throw any shade at my parents. (laughs) Like they did absolutely did the best that they could. It was not part of people's vernacular or conversation back then. And I am glad that things things are changing. I'm raising my children differently, just understanding that your feelings are never wrong. Your right. your behavior that comes from those feelings, you're <laughs> that responsible might be for wrong. Them. Your feelings themselves. <laughs> right. There might be consequences, but your feelings themselves are never wrong. So that's what I'm talking about in that particular excerpt about how your your pain is your power. Trust me, I did not want this to be true. <laughs> Who does? I wanted power to come from shoving it down. Watch me bury these feelings alive and watch them die. Like that was my motto. And I was going to live or die trying. Mm. That's what pushed me to drink too much. That's what pushed me to throw myself into relationships instead of actually dealing with the grief that I had from my abandonment issues, from my father, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I think the more that we could actually acknowledge. That we are angry about something, especially for women. I talk to so many women who have pushed down their anger so far. They say, "I'm so afraid to open this up because I'm afraid I won't be able to stop crying once I do." Yeah. People who have pushed down their fear, their grief, their terror so far down, and this is where you know therapy comes in handy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because sometimes like, I don't recommend doing it alone. That's where our power is actually processing and right. digesting, and honoring them like this is your body's way of taking care of you exactly we're not hard on ourselves if we sneeze or we sweat or we have other bodily functions that are sometimes gross but always necessary in order to bring us to that place of homeostasis and of happiness feelings are the same like what if we just looked at it like that I think a lot of things would change so that's my little soapbox on on pain is power Andrea's
0: most recent book is entitled, Make Some Noise, Speak Your Mind and Own Your Strength. And you can learn more about Andrea and all the great work that she's doing on her website, andreaowen.com. That's A-N-D-R-E-A-O-W-E-N.com. And we'll have that for you in the show notes as well. Andrea, thank you so much for bravely cracking your heart open once again today, so that we may all learn and grow from some of your experiences.
1: Thank you so much, Liz. I just want to say a quick thank you to the audience. I know how important their time is, and I'm grateful that they chose to spend it with us today. And I concur. Thank you to the audience who's listening
0: today. I invite you, write a review, share this podcast with someone that you really, truly care about. And remember this, there are no dress rehearsals in life. So believe in you. Believe that you have the power to live your best life because you are worth it. Until next time.